0: All right, well, if you would take your Bibles and open to the book of 2 Kings. 2 Kings chapter number 7. 2 Kings chapter number 7. <clears throat> and as you're turning there, being a, as a second generation missionary, and some of you were in the um, the married couples class heard this a little bit, but for those of you that weren't, um, I grew up on the mission field. My father's been a missionary um pretty much all my life. And uh grew up on the mission field, both in Europe and in, uh, in Uganda and Africa. And uh, it was uh, after I had finished school, I was ready to go back and uh, just kind of live a, a normal American life. But my dad uh, kind of twisted my arm into going to Bible college for one year. And uh, he, of course, he was the money. He was the guy that was playing for my plane ticket to come back. So I had to do what he said. So uh, I told him I'd go to one year of Bible college and uh, started looking around for a Bible college, some place that I could just get in, get out, you know. Heard of this place c- called uh, Crown College in Powell, Tennessee. Never heard of Tennessee before, really. Um, so, but the only thing that I did know of Tennessee, I always heard people talk about Tennessee, Georgia, you know, the South and rednecks and, you know, so that's, that's kind of what my mentality was of Powell, Tennessee, And I thought, you know, maybe this was going to be this little bitty Bible college, you know, have a log cabin here, you know, back in the sticks. And I thought, you know, this is going to be the greatest place for me to go because nobody will know me. I'll just get in there, spend my year, and then get out. So I applied, and uh, they sent back uh, an acceptance letter. So I showed up there, and it wasn't quite what I was expecting, Um, quite a little bit bigger than what I thought, not as many sticks. As what I thought was going to be there, but um, but God knew what exactly exactly what He was doing, and um, ended up staying there throughout my, my whole uh, Bible college years, and ended up graduating from there. But it wasn't during my it was during my junior year of Bible college that uh, that God really began to get a hold of my heart. And uh, through the death of a friend, uh, I began to realize that I myself was not saved, uh, even though I'd spent all my life in church. Uh, I'd helped my dad start churches. Uh, I'd helped lead in the church. I'd I led singing, and I'd preached, and I'd gone soul winning, and I'd done so many things. But yet, I myself had never accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. And uh, that night, as I was laying in my bunk in and, and the dormitory, and God just really began to, to work in my heart, and I began to realize that I was not saved. And I got up at about, I guess it was about 3 o'clock in the morning, and ran downstairs to our dorm supervisor's uh, room. His name was Jody Jenkins, and, uh, pounded on his door, woke him up, and, uh, he kind of came to the door with his eyes half closed, and he said, Andrew, what do you want? I said, Jody, I need to get saved. He said, Andrew, is this a joke? I said, uh, no, Jody, this is not a joke. I said, I need to get saved. He said, are you serious? I said, yes, Jody, I'm serious. He said, well, let me get my Bible. So, he got his Bible real quick, and we sat down there right on the, the dorm floor, and I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. After that, God began to, to work in my heart about what he wanted me to do, and, uh, in my, my life, I felt that I had done my time in missions, uh, lived on the mission field all my life. So I really wasn't looking at missions for myself. I was looking at maybe, you know, just getting a nice job, uh, being able to live a comfortable life here in America, uh, get married, you know, all that kind of thing. But as I began to pray about it, God began to, to burden my heart about missions, and I was really uh, struggling with that. Um, and then uh, a man came to the Crown College, a missionary, and preached a message. And honestly, I, I do not remember what the message was, uh, but I do remember who it was. Uh, it was Edgar Figali, uh who's going to be here next week. And uh, Ed, Edgar Fogali preached a message, and through the message that he preached and, and through the leading of the Holy Spirit, God just really began to break my heart uh, to go back to the mission field. And uh, I surrendered, and I told God I'd go to Siberia. I hate cold weather, uh, but I'd go to Siberia. I'd go to South America. I'd go to, you know, Canada, Greenland, Iceland, you know, anywhere, but just not back to Africa. And I've begun to realize something. When you tell God you don't want to do something, that's pretty much what you end up doing. And uh, I said, God, I don't want to go back to Africa. God says, well, I want you to go back to Africa. I said, all right, God, I'll go to, you know, let me go to Egypt or let me go to South Africa or, you know, someplace. I said, just, I don't want to go back to Uganda. God says, I want you to go back to Uganda. I said, all right, well, we'll go. And, uh, but I said, God, if I'm going to go back to Uganda, I want to go to a place where there's not another missionary. And that's when God began to burden our heart for Mbali. And uh, the time that we went to Mbali, it was about the 250,000 people there's estimating by next year that the population will be around 500,000. And uh, so it's quite a large city, um, but I was just kind of, I don't know how big Sydney is. You know how big? 20,000. 20,000. Uh, Sydney is much more developed than Mbali is, and we have 500,000 people in it. Okay? So even though maybe a, a lot of people, uh, there's just really not a whole lot there other than people. And uh, so God's really given us a great opportunity to, to share the gospel with these people, And and we're looking forward to getting back and and getting that radio station started. Um, On the the video, it said that, at the time the video was being made, it said that we were looking at buying land on the side of the mountain. Uh, We, in fact, have already done that. Uh, We got a piece of land up there for about $1,000, which was very, very cheap. And uh, so we've got the land that is up there. It's in a very good location, uh, about 3,000 feet above uh, where uh, the town is located. And uh, there's nothing to stop that radio signal from going out. Uh, as far as you can see, it can just kind of go and go and go until it, until it ends. Um, so we're really looking forward to seeing what God's going to do through the, through the radio station when we get back. We're hoping, we're praying that by the time we get back to, uh, to get the, the license, the, the frequency, and all of that, we're hoping within uh, six months to be able to, to have everything up and running. Um, One of the things you learn in a third world country, whatever you're shooting for, just kind of double it uh, because that's about what it's going to be. So we're hoping within six months, but it would be wonderful if we could get it up and get everything done within a year. Um, But please be praying with us about that. I hope uh, we do have a display table in the back. I hope you've stopped by and uh, picked up one of our prayer cards. Uh, We do need your prayers. We appreciate your prayers so much. Uh, But it has uh, the newest picture of our family on there. Um, and so please, please go by and pick one of those up. If you want to take more than one, feel free to take more than one. Uh, we've got plenty of them, so please take as many as you'd like. Um, just don't use them for target practice, you know, so. But in 2 uh, in Kings chapter 7, 2 Kings chapter number 7, and uh, I did tell the, the the Sunday school class I was in, if you hear me say some strange words, uh, it's because of where I've just come from. We've only been in the States for about three weeks so some of the words that I'm used to saying aren't the words you're supposed to say here. And uh, so if I say something that sounds a little bit funny, uh, you know, if I, if I asked, uh, you know, could you go put this in the boot of your car? Yeah. Anybody know what the boot of your car is? Yeah. It's your trunk, yeah. And, uh, you know, just joking with some of the men here in front, I, uh, they asked one of the guys, could you move? Uh, you don't say that in Uganda. They say, can you shift? Uh, you know, when we say shift, we're thinking about shifting in a vehicle, you know, shifting. But no, that's, that's actually moving. So if I say some words that, you know, just bear with me, you know, I'm, I'm not really that weird, uh, but I'm just still getting used to the right words that I'm supposed to say. In Second Kings chapter 7, and let's begin reading in verse number, uh, verse number 1. Then Elisha said, Hear ye the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, Tomorrow about this time shall a measure of fine flour be sold for a shekel, and two measures of barley for a shekel in the gate of Samaria. Then a lord on whose hand the king leaned, answered the man of God and said, Behold, if the lord would make windows in heaven, might this thing be? And he said, Behold, thou shalt see it with thine eyes, but shalt not eat thereof. And there were four leprous men at the entering in of the gate, and they said one to another, Why sit we here until we die? If we say we will enter into the city... Then the famine is in the city, and we shall die there. And if we sit still here, we die also. Now therefore come and let us fall into the host of the Syrians. If they save us alive, we shall live. And if they kill us, notice these last words, we shall but die. They rose up in the twilight to go into the camp of the Syrians. When they were come to the uttermost part of the camp of the Syrians, behold, there was no man there. Skip down to verse number 8. When these lepers came to the uttermost part of the camp... They went into one tent and did eat and drink and carried thence silver and gold and raiment and went and hid it and came again and entered into another tent and carried thence also and went and hid it. Then they said one to another, We do not well. This day is a day of good tidings and we hold our peace. If we tarry till the morning light, some mischief will come upon us. Now therefore come that we may go and tell the king's household. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to come to your house and worship you. Lord, we thank you for the singing that we've heard this morning. Lord, I pray now that you would be with the message. Lord, I pray that it would speak to hearts. Lord, that your Holy Spirit would convict. Lord, if there's someone here this morning that has never accepted Jesus Christ, Lord, maybe they were like me. Lord, maybe they've been in church for many, many years, but they've just been deceiving people. Lord, they've been playing the Christian game. Lord, I pray that you would help them to realize, Lord, that today they can accept Jesus Christ and know for sure that they're going to go to heaven. Father, I pray if there are Christians this morning who are discouraged, Lord, I pray that you would encourage them. Lord, I pray that you just be with the service now. Lord, let everything that is said and done bring glory and honor to your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Here in 2 Kings chapter 7, uh, we have the... Kind of the end story of when uh, Samaria has been besieged by the Syrians. Uh, Samaria was a city in in Israel, and they were besieged by the the Syrians uh, by King Ben-Hadad. And now in chapter 7, we find Elisha uh, looking at people and saying, Look, tomorrow there's going to be food. Tomorrow there's going to be enough food for everybody. But I want us to kind of look at this passage of Scripture and, if I can, apply it in the the area of missions. And I believe if we'll go through this together, I think you'll understand what I'm saying. But I want us to notice, first of all, notice the horrible condition of the city. The horrible condition of the city. Notice back in chapter 6, if you go back to chapter 6, and in verse number 25, the Bible says there was a great famine in Samaria. And behold, they besieged it until an ass's head was sold for fourscore pieces of silver and the fourth part of a cab of dove's dung for five pieces of silver. Now, notice the condition of the city. I mean, look at what they're eating. I mean, in Uganda, I've eaten some pretty strange things, but nothing like this. It's a pretty horrible condition. And not only were they eating ass's head, they were eating dove's dung. But if you continue in verse number 28, And the king said unto her, What aileth thee? And she answered, This woman said unto me, Give thy son, that we may eat him today, and we will eat my son tomorrow. So we boiled my son and did eat him. And I said unto her on the next day, Give thy son, that we may eat him. And she hath hid her son. I mean, the condition of this city was so bad that they had not only resorted to eating dove's dung and ass's head, but now they're even eating their own children and bargaining with one another. If you'll give your child for us to eat today, I'll give my child and we'll eat him tomorrow. Now, those of you in here this morning that have children, you say, well, there's no way I'd ever do that with my children. I'm sure these ladies probably said that at one time too. But the condition was so bad that they had come to this point now. You know, the condition of America may not be as horrible as this. The condition of the world may not be as horrible as this, but we're in a pretty bad condition. We're in a pretty bad state. You look around and you see the things, you look at the direction that the world is heading with adultery and crime and corruption, homosexuality, taking God out of the schools, even trying to take God out of the church. It's not going to be too long before the world in America is right in the same condition that Samaria was in. We're heading down a very bad road. And I'm not just talking about America, I'm talking about the world. We're going in a horrible condition people that have never even heard about jesus christ dying and going to hell and they've never even heard because no one has ever taken the time to take the gospel to them i was listening to a missionary the other day and uh he was at our home church in in eton ohio and he was telling us that basically to to make the the oh what's the word the um the statistics uh shorter for every hundred missionaries that Surrender to go to the mission field, only one actually stays on the mission field. Only one actually stays on the mission field for an extended period of time. Out of those hundred that go, only ten actually ever reach the mission field. And out of those ten that reach the mission field, only one of them stays. Listen, God, the Lord Jesus Christ, gave us a command to reach the world. And we're not doing the job that we're supposed to be doing we're in a very horrible condition as christians when when the world around us is dying and going to hell and we need to we need to really wake up and realize what is happening we need to understand the condition that the world is in it's not in a good condition it doesn't matter what the un and what all these other different types of groups do the world is not getting better it's getting worse But notice, secondly, not only the horrible condition of the city, notice the hopelessness of the people. The hopelessness of the people here in verse number 26 and 27, you find the king. The hopelessness of the king. Look, he says, "...and the king of Israel was passing by upon the wall. There cried a woman unto him, saying, "'Help me, O king!' This lady, the citizen of Samaria, is looking at the king and she's asking for help. She's begging for help. And notice the reply of the king. And he said, If the Lord do not help thee, when shall I help thee? Does it look like the king had any hope? The king said, Lady, if God doesn't help you, how can I help you? There's no hope. You know, many people are looking to the, the leaders, the government leaders, the president, the, uh, the United Nations leaders. They're looking to the, these government leaders for help. And let me tell you something. They don't have hope. Oh, they have some plans, but they don't have the hope that the world needs. They need the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And those leaders don't have it. If you go back to chapter 7, you look in verse number 2. Then a Lord on whose hand the king leaned. Here's a man that's supposed to be encouraging the king, helping the king, giving him good counsel and good guidance. He's hopeless. Elijah, the man of God, says, Tomorrow, at this time, there's going to be food. There's going to be enough food for everyone. It's going to be cheap. You're not, it's not going to be as expensive. And he basically says, Even if God would open the windows of heaven, it's not possible. It's hopeless. The hopelessness of the people. These ladies, the people in the town were hopeless. It was even so bad that the outcasts, the lepers, had a tough decision to make. You know the decision they had to make? Where are we going to die? Where are we going to die? I mean, that's, that's how bad the situation was. That's how horrible the condition was and how hopeless even the lepers were. That they would say, wait, well, if we go into the city there's famine in the city, we're going to die. If we stay here in the gate where they've they've put us, you know, we're outcasts, we can't even go into the city. If we stay here, we're going to die. If we go over to the camp of the Syrians, we're Jews, they're going to kill us. We're lepers, they're not going to want us in their camp, so they're going to kill us. Where are we going to die? They were hopeless. That was a pretty tough decision to make. Where are we going to die? Notice the end of verse number 4. He says, and if they kill us, we shall but die. They had lost hope. The people in the city had lost hope. The the, the government officials had lost hope. Let me tell you something. There are people all around the world without hope. Without hope. We were in a village one day and I was sharing the gospel with a lady and showing her from the word of God how to be saved. And she said, sir, I, I see what you're saying is true. She said, said, for many years I've I've gone to this church and they've never told me what you're telling me from the Word of God. You don't know how many people I've sat down and shared the gospel with in Uganda, and I'm sure you can say the same thing here in America. That when you share the gospel with someone and show them truly how they can be born again and how they can be saved, they'll look at you and they'll say, I've never heard this before. No one has ever told this to me before. I've gone to church all my life and I've never heard this before. Why is that? Why is it that they don't have hope? Well, I think it's because of exactly what the lepers said in verse number number 9. We do not well. We do not well. And I just want to ask you a very simple question this morning Do we as a Christian, not as a not as a nation, not as a church, but as an individual, do you and I as a Christian, do we do well in the area of getting the gospel of Jesus Christ out? You see, if if we don't do well in the area of getting the gospel out so that people can know how to be saved, then what is the purpose for us to be here? What is the purpose of life? I mean, the purpose of life is not just to get a better car and to get a a nicer home and a better job. Many people look at that as the purpose of life, but when they die, those things still remain. Somebody else is going to live in their home. Somebody else is going to buy their car. So are those those things really the purpose of life? I mean, in Uganda, (laughs) the the purpose of, of life for many Ugandans is to get a visa to come to America. I mean, we'll have, we have these, uh, the, uh, charismatic preachers that will come in and they'll preach on getting a visa to come to America. No joke. And they'll say, listen, if, if you want a visa to come to America, we'll pray for you. So you come, we'll pray for you, we'll only charge you five dollars for the prayer. And God will bless you and get you a visa to come to America. And you don't know how many people go and actually will give that money so that they will hopefully one day be able to get a visa to come to America. You see, the world has no hope. They're looking at all the materialistic things. They're looking at all the the possessions of the world. They're looking at all the temporary things. And the the thing that really amazes me, so are Christians. So are Christians. The Bible says we're supposed to be different. Different. Now I'm not saying. Please understand. I'm not saying that temporary things, the material possessions, are wrong. If God's blessed you with them, that's fine. But God has blessed you with them for a purpose, for a reason. Notice if you if you look here in um in verse number in verse number uh, chapter seven, verse number five. Okay, you've got these you've got these lepers. Okay, they write, they get up, they they finally make a decision. We can't go into the city, the famine's there. We can't just stay here, you know, we're just gonna die here. So they come to a decision, let's go to the Syrians. Maybe by some miracle, they'll give us a little bit of scraps of food or something. So they make a decision to go to the camp of the Syrians. Notice what happens. The lepers, in verse number 8, when these lepers came to the uttermost part of the camp, they went into one tent. And did eat and drink and carry silver and gold and raiment. But notice what did they do with it? They went and hid it. The third thing we need to see here is the hoarded blessings of God. Oh, the, the the, the, the condition of the city was horrible. And the people were hopeless. But when God blessed... And God provided for what was needed. What did the people do with what God provided? They hid it. They started hoarding it. They started keeping it for themselves. I mean, here you have these four lepers. I mean, they were starving. They were outcasts. The city had basically kicked them out. They couldn't go into the city. If anybody was passing by, they had to shout unclean so that they wouldn't come near them. And now they're eating like kings. I mean, they're eating the food that was left by this military army. I mean, they're they're going around, they're looking at the best clothes. I mean, they actually could actually pick now what they wanted to wear. I mean, they're going into one tent. Wow, that looks nice, but this looks nicer. I'll take that. They're looking around at the gold and the silver and all the things that are left, and they're taking it and knowing good enough that a city is dying and people are eating their children and they're dying. What do they do with what God blessed them with? They take it and go and hide it. They hoard the blessings of God. Listen, I love America. and God has blessed America beyond, beyond America's wildest dreams. But One of the problems that I believe we're having in America is we are taking those blessings of God and we are hiding them. We are taking the blessings of God and, and it's almost come to the point so much that we don't even realize they're blessings from God anymore. We've just become so used to the God blessing us that now we don't even realize it's from God. Now we just think it's something that's we're, it's expected. We just think it's something that has to come. And we're taking those blessings of God and we're hoarding them. We're hiding them. We're keeping them to ourselves when there is a city and there is a world dying. Just like the city of Samaria. They were dying. They were eating their children. They had no hope. And here these men... Finally, have hope. And what do they do with it? They keep it to themselves. They keep it to themselves. Listen, God's called us to go to Uganda. One of the reasons why we want to start the radio station is because I began to pray, God, what else can we do to reach the Ugandan people? There are so many thousands of villages. There are so many areas where, I mean... We drive from, from our town to the capital city, Kampala, and we drive through, through villages and through towns, and, and we look at all these places, and we know every time we pass through one, there's no one there preaching the gospel. There's no one there telling them about Jesus Christ. I mean, you've got a country of 36 million people, and you just have a handful of missionaries. You have a handful of people. I mean, you have states. That have hundreds, if not thousands, of independent Baptist churches. We have countries that just have a handful. Rwanda, one missionary for ten and a half million people. Just one missionary. Who's going to tell them? You see, they're just like these people in Samaria. They're just like these ladies that maybe not eating their children, but they have no hope. They are hopeless and they're going to die without hope unless you and I who have received the blessings of God begin to share it and get the gospel out. Notice, what did they say? They they were eating, they were drinking like kings now. They were taking the silver, they were gold. And maybe they thought, you know what? Hey, this city of Samaria, they, they cast us out. These people wouldn't even let us into the city. They wouldn't even let us see our families. We don't owe them anything. You know, sometimes we can get that idea. Hey, you know what? I've never been to Uganda. I don't owe Uganda anything. I've never been to Africa. I don't owe Africa anything. I've never been to the rest of the world. I don't owe the rest of the world anything. But may I tell you, we do. We do. Because we have received the blessings of God. We have received the greatest blessing called salvation. And if we do not take that blessing... And give it out and share it so that other people can know how to be saved. Notice what they say in verse number nine. Then they said one to another, we do not well. They began to realize after they were hiding and hiding and hiding, they began to realize, hey, wait a minute. I have family members in that city. I have friends. In that city. Those people are my countrymen. Yes, there may even be people I don't know, but they're going to die unless we do something with what we have here. They said, we do not well. Notice, what do they say? They say, this day is a day of good tidings and we hold our peace. He said, this is a great day. This is a day of good tidings. This is a great day. So we could go out. We should be telling so many people And what are we doing? We're holding our peace. And they say, if we hold our peace, notice, some mischief will come upon us. Something's bad going to happen to us if we don't give the blessings of God. They said, some mischief is going to po- come upon us. God has blessed us here. We were in a hopeless condition. We were in a horrible place and now God has blessed us. But instead, we're hoarding these blessings to ourselves. They said, hey, if we don't go and give these, some of these things back and tell them what God's done, something bad going to happen to us. You can begin to see what's happening to America. We're not going up. We're going down. What was very sad to me was in Uganda for many, many years it has been illegal for homosexuality. This year they are debating in Parliament, in Ugandan parliament, whether to make homosexuality legal or not. And the reason they're having this debate is because they're concerned of the funds that they would lose. Because there is one country in particular that is telling them if you do not make homosexuality legal, we will withdraw all funds and all support. I'm very sad to say that that country is America. They've never had a problem with it before until America stepped in. Said you either make it legal or we're going to take all of our money out. Now they're having a debate. What are we going to do? Are we going to continue doing what's right or are we going to stick with the money? Do we do well? Do we really do well? Yes, I praise God for the the missionaries you support and what you're doing, but may I just ask this, as individuals, are we doing all we can to get the gospel out? All that we can. Yes, I know we're doing some, but are we doing everything possible for us to get the gospel out? You say, Pastor, you know, we're, I'm not a very rich person. Um, I don't want to sound rude. Yes, you are. You come to Uganda and I'll show you what poor is. I don't know any of you that walked this morning to church or rode a bicycle this morning to church that 's the main way of transportation, most of our people walk. We had a man that was riding his bicycle for a year and a half, two hours every Sunday just to come to church and he was in his fifties, and some of some i mean i, I don 't know this i 've just been told this by some other pastors since i 've been back in the states, but they say pastor you know, brother census if If we don't have a church every 10 minutes, people won't even drive 10 minutes to come to church. Do we do well? Do we really do well? Are we really doing all that we can? I mean, you you say, well, Pastor, you know, I really don't have a lot. You got a house. Most of you got a car. Cell phones, computers, jobs. We have so many things. And that's what I'm saying. We look at these things and we don't even realize that these are blessings from God. We just think that we're just supposed to have them. And we start hiding them. We start hoarding them. They did not well. They said, we do not well. It was supposed to be a day of good tidings. And they were holding their peace. (laughs) We're hoping that this radio station will be able to get into many homes we could never get into. Five million people will be able to reach. And who knows, maybe God would do something and get into more homes with it. Homes we'd never be able to get into. Muslim homes that we can't get into. Hindu homes we can't get into. Buddhist homes we can't get into. You say, you have those there? Yes, we do. Homes we'd never be able to get into, but they would sit and they would listen to a radio. Most of them don't have TVs. They have radios. That's how they listen to news. That's how they listen to what's going on. To be able to get the gospel into the homes of five million people. What an opportunity. Are we doing all that we can? Are we really, as Christians, can we honestly look at our own life and say, I am doing well. I am doing the very best that I can with what God has given to me. I can look at the blessings that God has given to me, and I can can say, unlike these lepers, I am doing well. I am doing everything that I know that I could do to get the gospel out. Sad to say, most Christians cannot say that. Because we're not. Many times we're just like these lepers. We think that all these things just belong to us. God didn't give them to us just for us to keep. God gave them to us so that we can use them to get the gospel out. They were hoarding the blessings of God. They were not doing well. But the thing that I love in verse number 9, notice it says, They said one to another, We do not well. It wasn't just one of the lepers that realized what they were doing was wrong. All four of them realized what they were doing was wrong. And it wasn't just, well, why don't one of us decide to go back? No, they all decided we all should go back and tell them. It wasn't just, well, you know, there's four of us, so let's just send one person back to go and tell them. No, they all decided to go back. It is all of our responsibility to be telling other people. It's not just the pastor's job or the missionary's job or the deacon's job or those who have been saved a long time. It's not just their job. It is our job as Christians. If you have been born again, if you've been saved, it is your job to be telling other people how to be saved. It's all of our jobs combined. All four of them went back. Notice what happened. We find, lastly, the heavenly provision. In verse number 10, "...so they came and called into the porter of the city." And they told them, saying, We came to the camp of the Syrians, and behold, there was no man there, neither voice of man, but horses tied and asses tied, and the tents as they were. And he called the porters, and they told it to the kings within. And the king arose in the night and said unto his servant, I will not. I will now show you what the Syrians have done to us. They know that we be hungry. Therefore are they gone out of the camp to hide themselves in the field, saying, When they come out of the city, we shall catch them alive and get into the city. When the lepers came back to the city, they told the porters because they still wouldn't let them into the city. They're still having to stand on the outside of the city and just talk to people over the wall. Hey, you know what? The, the, The Syrians are gone. They've left. We don't know what's happened, but they're not there. So they're telling the porters this and then the porters go in and they tell the king's servants and the king's servants tell the king. And the king says, you know what? It's probably a trap. It's probably a trap. They know how hungry we are, so they're just, they're just out around. And when we go out to get the food, they're going to come in and kill us. And then they'll get into the city. Nah, we're not going to do it. The king wasn't going to do it. And let me tell you something. There are going to be people that you will witness to that will say no. Not every person that you tell about Jesus Christ is going to get saved. But that's not the point. The point is we are supposed to go and tell them. It wasn't the the leper's responsibility to get the people to come out. It was their responsibility just to go back to the city and tell them about the blessings of God. The king said, no, it's a trap. Luckily for the city, one of his servants in verse number 13, one of his servants answered and said, Let some take, I pray thee, five of the horses that remain, which are left in the city. Behold, there is all the multitude of Israel that are left in it. Behold, I say, they are even as all the multitude of the Israelites that are consumed. Let us send and see. One of the servants said, hey, king, what's it going to hurt? We're all dead anyway. Let's at least send some people out to see if maybe it's true or not. The king says, okay, send a couple out. So they go out and they find out that what they're saying is true. They come back and because of some hearing and believing, they come back and more go out and believe. You know, you sent one missionary to Uganda, but not just one person got saved. Amen. One person got saved, and that person believed, and was able to tell someone else, and that person believed, and that person was able to tell someone else, and that person believed. I was saying, I was—I uh, don't remember if I was saying, telling it to the pastor or uh, to the Sunday school class or, or what—but we have a young man named Andrew. Uh, I think he was on the, the video. Andrew got saved. And Andrew, after he got saved, he said, Pastor, we need to go and tell my dad. So we went and he told his dad and his dad got saved. And our our discipleship program usually lasts for about six to seven months. It took me a year and a half to disciple Andrew. Because every time I would go to his house, he'd have somebody else there that he wanted me to witness to. He'd have a friend. He'd have a neighbor. He'd have a relative. And it took me forever to get through discipleship with him because he was so concerned about people's souls. That's exactly what these people did. The lepers went back and they said, Hey, there's blessings. There's blessings. Come and receive the blessings of God. The king said, No. We'll send out a few. So those few went out. They saw the blessings of God. They saw what God said was true. And they came back and they told the others. And now the rest of the city comes out. Listen, it may not be you that wins many people to Christ, but you may win that one person to Christ that will win many other people to Christ. You never know who you're going to win to Christ. The person that you would say, you know what, I'm not going to talk to him. You know, he he looks mean. When I met Andrew, Andrew was is, is a martial artist. He's the he's the national champion for all of Uganda. And when and when when I first met him, I honestly, the Holy Spirit said, I want you to witness to him, and I said no. I said no. He's going to kill me. I mean, he's he's he was over here kicking this bag as hard as he could, and. And he was just a I mean, he's a built guy. He's I mean, you can just tell he's he's a mean dude. I said, I'm not talking to him. Little did I know that if I would not have witnessed to Andrew and Andrew have gotten saved, there's about twenty or thirty people that would have never gotten saved because of one man. Listen, your neighbor across the street may be that key to twenty or thirty people getting saved the person that you work with next to you at your work, he may be the key to 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 people getting saved. We've got to share the gospel with him. We've got to tell him about Jesus Christ. Because if we don't, if we keep these blessings to ourselves, some mischief will come upon us. And we do not well. But if you notice, if you look down at verse number 15, and they went after them unto Jordan... Lo, the way was full of garments and vessels which the Syrians had cast away in their haste, and the messengers returned and told the king. Notice verse number sixteen And the people went out and spoiled the tents of the Syrians, so a measure of fine flour was sold for a shekel, and two measures of barley for a shekel, according to the word of the Lord. God provided. You know what's amazing? God always provides. God always provides. You see, even before those lepers went to the camp of the Syrians, God had already provided. Before they reached the camp, God had already made the Syrians to hear the sound of chariots and horses, and they ran scared to death, even before the lepers went out. Aren't you glad God provided before you and I were even born? That He was willing to send Jesus Christ to die on a cross to save us from our sins. Oh, you don't know how many people I've sat and talked with and they're trusting in their good works, they're trusting in going to church, they're trusting in their parents' religion. And then when I'm able to take the Word of God and show them that there is none good, there is none righteous, and show them that God says they can truly know for sure that they're going to heaven. You don't know how exciting it is to see the smiles come across their faces and say, I want to be saved. I want to know Jesus Christ as my Savior. God's already provided. They're heavenly blessings. It's heavenly provision. But is it going out? God's already made a way. God's already provided. He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, over 2,000 years ago. We've received that blessing. If you haven't received that blessing, I hope today you'll come and, and talk to the pastor or someone and find out how you can be saved. But if you know for sure that you're saved, my question to you again this morning is, do you do well? Are we doing well for the cause of Jesus Christ? Oh, you know what? Coke? Coke is all over the world. You go to a village, sit down in a little mud hut, you know what they'll bring you? Coke. Why is that? Hey, you go to a village where you think they have nothing. The greatest thing that they can offer you is a Coke. Coke is everywhere. Why isn't the gospel of Jesus Christ? Coke is fulfilling their responsibility, Pepsi, they're fulfilling their responsibility. Hey, we just got Mountain Dew. People have heard of Mountain Dew, but people have never heard of Jesus Christ. Do we do well?